Would you go? You'd go and watch that film, wouldn't you? I'm not yeah. sure Dave would pay the ticket. How about you, Marcel? Would you? Uh... Sorry, I was distracted by. <laughs> <laughs> As ever, not listening. That's a typical typical producer. Yeah, yeah, always distracted. <laughs> thanks yeah. for your contribution, Marcel. Yeah, yeah. No, no thanks. Welcome to Cloud Realities, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that can be unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. I'm Shel Kazal. And I'm Rob Kernahan. And this week, it is our season finale. We're about to go on holiday, guys. It is the summer. And we thought to bring the season to a bit of a close before we go off for a couple of weeks, we'll do a few reflections on what we talked about over the course of seasons one and two. I think it's fair to say that all of us on the team have had an amazing journey, like an amazing learning journey, and had the privilege to talk to some amazing guests. So we're going to bring some of our personal reflections and look at some of what we think are the big themes of the seasons. The other big thing that's going to happen on this episode, which is exciting, you're going to have a mystery voice that's going to drop down out of the heavens like the angels are smiling on us. So it's something to look forward to, isn't it, Shao? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, yeah. The tension is palpable. <laughs> so funnily enough, we put all of our themes together. We did a little brainstorm and collated what resonated with us across the two seasons that we've been running the show now. And we did it blindfold, so to speak. So we all did ours independently and we gathered it together under a series of themes to see what popped out. So we thought, given it's the end of the season and we're coming into the summer, that it might be good to just take a moment, sit back with a cocktail or a, or a glass of whatever you like um, as you're sitting on the beach and reflect on the things that we've seen and learned over the course of the last eight or nine months of the show and before we get into season three in the fall time. So let's kick into it, shall we? Um, now, the big unassailable and pretty much unmissable aspect of the entire last 12 months almost certainly is the rise of AI. And I think right at the very beginning, the first episode of the show, we did a little a little trend summary of what we thought cloud would look like over the course of the next uh, 12 months or so. And I think it's fair to say, Rob, that we were miles off. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have AI in it to start easy, with. Easy, Dave, easy. Don't say that. Sugarcoat it a little bit, at least. <laughs> I don't think we ever perceived that the explosion in AI, chat GPT, and everything that came with it, especially in the last four months, would be anything like it has been, definitely. We knew it would be there as a theme, but you couldn't have imagined it like it played out. No, that was really a big surprise, yeah. I think you got down to now, you get into the, the level where ChatGPT is getting sued because it's been proven to have trained itself on text that was copyrighted. So what we've had is this explosion of capability, and now we're seeing the consequences of the actions of you know uh, putting the technology out there. No doubt it'll be for good, but um, there's a few bumpy roads ahead for AI, I think. Yeah, and I think one of the things that struck me from a lot of our conversations about getting the data right in your organization is is frankly ai is only as good as the data set yeah and and getting that data set in the right sort of order uh whatever that looks like 
is as, is as difficult and as hard yards and as problematic as ever, right, Shao? Yeah, it is. And high quality data is also the base of unbiased AI. Or So that's also, it's extremely important to have a good data set to rely on when you start with AI. And the, the bit I always liked was where we came up with the, or we discussed the AI will actually be a mech suit for the human. So it's not going to you know, like replace, but what it will be is in its early forms, the um, reducing the toil, making life easier, facilitating things. And I like that analogy because it feels like that could be a very quick early win for AI where we use it to help manage logistics and just the you know the stuff in life that's hard work to do but you need to do i also remember a remark uh, rob that you mentioned that excel and having data in excel sheets is really the sort of survival uh, mode for for companies eh? because a lot of data is not structured in, in in nice databases but it's all in excel yeah and it needs the human to know where it is and how to interpret it so it's difficult for ai to be able to deal with it as, as was that is. the was that the voice of an ai rob <laughs> Who was that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our, very own. Our AI assistant. Our AI assistant. The other aspect that we need to challenge with AI, and it goes back to Shao, something you said about data and bias, and also, Rob, what you said about where it's sort of farming that information from, it really changes the relationship you have to have with judging what's truth and what's not truth, because you can't always assume truth right with this thing. Shao, you've got to still keep a critical mind. So even though you get an answer back that looks absolutely beautifully written, could be beautifully presented with graphics. You've always got to remember, actually, I, I don't know where this really came from, so I can't assume that it's true, can I? Yeah, it is, because it's it's just a text model, right? So it's going to create text for you based on an input, but it's not always correct in that. So you need to really double check if what it comes out of it is actually the truth. Well, there's, there's two notable stories in that one. There's one, the lawyer used it to create case precedent. And of course, the uh, defense checked it and it all turned out to be complete rubbish. So yeah, check your sources, check your data. The other one is um, people use it, uh, they put a calculation into it. And it's a large language model. It's not a calculator. So it responded with an answer that was completely wrong, but it did, did it as if it was right. But it's only because it found those numbers in text it had used before. So it's the understanding what is actually happening under the hood is also really important because given a prompt and it comes back with certainty, people naturally want to trust that type of response, don't they? Yeah. And it's like, but you ha if you understand that it's just a tokenized model that's statistically saying the next best thing to do is this then you can only trust it for certain things or it's only good for certain things. But where it does excel, I think, and this goes back to my haikus and cheese jokes, is that it can produce a form of creativity, which is quite interesting, which I've never seen before. I, yeah. As much as I'm loath to disagree with you about that there are some very solid advantages to this, your cheese jokes have not proven that to me. I don't know about, I, I don't know about with you, Shout, but I don't feel like AI has demonstrated its ability through Rob's leverage of it for cheese jokes, has it? I I absolutely hope it can do more than that. But I do <laughs> do enjoy them, Rob. So please, please keep them coming. Yeah. See, that's it. That's it. Permission to double down. <laughs> plenty of creative headroom left, I think, there. So the so the other the other big theme I think that we'd all heard of, but I think have all been pretty compelled by during this is is quantum and quantum computers and some particularly incredible things, I think, about how like over the next 10 years, not only will quantum 
come of age, but AI will come of age alongside it, which obviously opens up like an enormous aspect of what, what the future could look like, like real step change stuff. So Shalk, when we were talking about quantum, what stuck with you? Yeah, what was my biggest takeaway in that? I was always under the impression that quantum will replace classical computer once, yeah. someday. Mm. But that's not the case because it's strong for certain areas, but classical compute is still here to stay. Yes. I, th- I think I think this might be my single most resonant moment, uh, and I've I've talked about this over dinner with quite a few groups now, that the notion of quantum computing within the next 10 years, I think it was, or the next 15 years, will be powerful enough to model an atom. And then from that point onwards, lots of things become possible in terms of what we can understand. But a classical computer to model an atom would need to be the size of the solar system. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't get sound bites like that very often, do you? No, you don't. And it's the um, we need it if we want to continue the ability for, to use technology to find answers. Quantum has to be part of that ecosystem that we embrace. Although I do uh, reiterate the point around, I quite like the idea of being galactic data center manager. I think yeah. that's a job. I, I I'm now sold on that. So when we need a galactic data center, I'm in. 100%. Robert, I think you're almost certainly first in the queue for that. Yeah, you are. Only if you, if you have a good cheese joke about that. <laughs> There's got to be, a, actually, that's one. I'll, I'll, I'll ask ChatGPT later and tweet about it. That's something to look forward to. <laughs> also, one of the things that was mentioned on the cat in the box, one of the guests mentioned that on quantum computing, you Schroding don't know. Cat. Yeah, so, so so the cat is dead or alive, but you only know if if you open the box. If, yeah. if so, it's not one and zero, but it could be a sort of stage in the middle and the unknown factor. That's that's really yeah. I, I can't still get my head around it. No, and 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 the notion of superposition, yeah, and how it relates to that. So a computer can can understand all three states like all at once and all at the same time is is literally mind-blowing to me you yeah, know the, i can't visualize it the cat can either be dead or alive it can yeah. be both yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and until we started to have these conversations i'd never quite brought together the notion of the hardware evolution with the notion of the algorithmic evolution rob what was your what was your takeaways from the other than um, other than you've got your your new career set job. Yeah. new job thanks uh I, and i i will treat it as the phony baloney position it will become um the um uh, the thing for me was the different way of thinking about developing algorithms to generate the answer and we also discussed the the new mastery that will be required along that we you know we spent decades mastering the building digital code and releasing it to live in a in, in a coherent and efficient way quantum's going to need us to rethink that because that process is is much more difficult so how do we deal with that? How do we learn? How does an enterprise or an entity take quantum, get the mastery and be able to use it for good? And I think we're going to have to learn a whole new set of skills and we're just waiting for quantum itself to mature to a point where it's accessible. Yeah. So in the next 10 years, the world of quantum collides with the world of AI and it may generate multiple different realities of simulation. Together with cloud. Don't forget cloud. Oh, it, obviously it will all be hosted in the galactic yeah. cloud at, at that point, I think, Schalk, you know, we're, we're talking really mega data centers at that stage. 
But could could we be in that simulation? Do you think? You know, you know. After that episode we did with Anders, um, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think I'm actually starting to come to the conclusion that it's more probable that we are in fact all living in a simulation. Oh, you're than, falling than in that not. direction. I, I am absolutely falling for the idea. I've read up a lot on it afterwards and spoken to quite a number of people about it, as it has been one of those things that has got inside my brain. Yeah. And actually, what I find hilarious is somebody who hasn't been introduced to the subject, initial reaction is always, that's complete rubbish. And then yeah. over a period of about half hour conversation over a beer, they go, oh, oh God, we're yeah. actually in a simulation. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's beautiful. As you work through the logic, it just goes, it's more probable that this is true than it isn't. I know. It's kind of sad. It's, I, 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 I don't know how to feel about it because I, I like the, the conclusion we got to in that episode, which is, well, you're still experiencing everything that you're experiencing, right? So does it matter ultimately, do you think that, well, if you're having a lived experience and everything around you and you're feeling emotions and you're engaging with whatever world this is, so does it really matter, you think, Xiao? No, 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 it doesn't matter. That was, I came to that conclusion because otherwise I couldn't cope with it. It doesn't matter in which reality you live. So it's more of a coping strategy than yeah, a... Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you on that. Um, I, th I think, Rob, also the Black Mirror episode on, on the virtual world. Uh, that was Joan also... Is awful. Oh, yeah. yeah, Joan is awful. Listeners, if you haven't seen it, Netflix uh, Series 6, Episode 1, Charlie Brooker basically explores the subject. It's absolutely phenomenal episode. So we're recording this and it is uh, mid-July. So this is going to go out probably early August. And at the moment in Hollywood, the actors are just about to go on strike. Yeah. I think, well, they have the done, haven't they? They've walked out, yeah. And did you see that one of the things, talking of Joan is awful, one of the things that they're up in arms about is even if you're like, a, like an extra for a day, they wanted a right in that contract to scan your face and then use your likeness in perpetuity. That's Joan is awful. <laughs> I, I, well, it literally is, and it's um, and it's quite scary, I suppose, because it, it, it once you've got a representation when AI matures to a particular point, it, film in Hollywood has already shown they can. Um, I mean, the latest Star Wars films and all sorts of stuff they've used CGI to a point where it becomes very believable, but it is totally computer generated. Yeah, well, the de-aging of Harrison Ford in, yeah, in Indy yeah. is, is great example. Quite striking. I mean, quite striking, and they did that, didn't they? By scanning because they've got a lot of Harrison Ford footage because of the he'd done so much work with Lucasfilm you know like the, what the, what they managed to turn out there is a real but, I think, this, step forward but going back to our original point this is the precursor technology to us being able to create a simulation that we can right. then model a world and a universe in so we are already picking up with the technology that allows us to create our very own so there will be a simulation and a simulation and a simulation ad infinitum until we, we get turned off as the rogue processors discovered in the corner of the data center. <laughs> oh, what's that process? It's hogging a lot of memory. <laughs> Doom, that's the end of us. Nice. So let's move on to the human side of transformation. So we talked a lot in that first section about some of the big tech that has, has really captured our imagination. And of course, a lot of that big tech sits alongside the more practical realities that organizations are dealing with around getting their stuff out of data centers, moving to the cloud, the sort of the mechanical aspects that need to happen before you can create foundations for 
the sort of the, the bigger world of what's possible through this cloud-driven transformation stuff. But sitting alongside that, of course, are, are the human beings. And we spent a lot of time talking about the human elements of transformation and, and what that means. And the one that bubbled to the top that I was most despairing about, because by now you would have hoped that this is getting better, is where we're up to with diversity. And, you know, we talked recently to Roisin McCarthy, one of the most recent episodes, and she dropped on us some data that we'd actually gone backwards in yeah. the in the last five years. And it, it was just an awful thing to hear. So, Shalk, what, what was your perspective on that? And how did that land on you? And, you know, what hope do we have, do you think? You know, how do we address it? I was really shocked to hear that, to be honest, because I really thought that we were going upwards in terms of diversity. And yeah, that she mentioned that the pandemic was part of the decrease of diversity. That really shocked me. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because I think the Roisin is particularly involved in the world of data and the point you made earlier about bias in data. It seems to me that if you haven't even got diverse teams working on shaping and managing and training models around data, mm -hmm. you're almost certainly going to have unintentional bias in that data, aren't you? Yeah, but not only in the field of data, right? We need diversity in each and every field to make sure that we create applications or software that can be used by each and every person on the globe. When I reflect on that episode, the one that struck me, I suppose I was aware of it, but not in sharp focus, was that the system is broken at a very early stage. So even before careers start, way back in the early schooling perception set, hardwired into our society and education process, which is creating huge friction, preventing the balance to occur. And um, it, there has to be a very significant set of actions that occur if we're going to properly fix the issue. Uh, it starts with schooling, perception, societal values, and all that sort of stuff. So it feels like a lot of effort is going in from a lot of very clever, talented people, but it's such a mountain to climb that it's going to take, you know, it feels like it's a generational issue that will continue to plague us for some time to come. Yeah, I, I, I concur with that. And the level of seriousness, I think, that needs to be put into things like STEM subjects in, in school and making that open for all categories of human beings and just as attractive to them is something that we really, really should take more seriously as a society and government should a government should lean into. And I know that we are certainly keen to do our bit on that. I think the other thing that we can get to faster than that, perhaps, though, to me is around recruitment and the nature of recruitment. Yeah. We didn't cover this with Roisin, but what tends to happen is that people write job descriptions, both in the language of and in the almost in the shape and character of themselves. And then they become really wedded to that job description as if that job description actually really meant anything, you know? So to me, it feels like, yes, write job descriptions. Yes, be clear in the sort of skills that you're looking for, but don't be wedded to that. Like, look at the human being in front of you and just bend the job for them, you know, like bring them in. That, that very act is, is yep. embracing diversity, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's the um, people seek the 100% fit. Uh, or they go for the closest fit. And actually, you're better to get the right person and let them learn and shape than you are to go for this total perfect match. And while you, you always seek what you already are, so it's a self-fulfilling mm. feedback loop that is it will just continue to perpetuate what already exists. So yeah, you're right. I absolutely endorse that, David. It's the uh, go for the 
best type of person with the potential and then shape them. And don't assume because that person might have a different style, they might have a different background, they might be a different age, that they don't carry gravitas, you know, just because you frame gravitas saying one way doesn't mean at all that that's the true definition of it, you know? No, I agree. We all have to wake up to that fact and start to embrace it. But while we all have very busy jobs and we want the path of least resistance, maybe we'll always elect that pathway. It takes a lot of effort to break away from that. So it's a conscious move and it'll take a lot of energy to deliver. Yeah, a bit on a personal note, if I look at my background, I come from a healthcare background and I got into IT um, by building a website for my band. And I really love the creativity in that. So just expand the area where you are focusing on and finding people and recruiting people. Show the creativity in IT jobs, in programming jobs, etc. And expand the catchment area. I love that thought. And I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, certainly for the subject we've been talking about, but also I think creativity generally is a much underused skill in the world of business. And my God, when you do bring that in, it really lights up the room. Yeah. 100%. Things is like software development is a fundamentally creative process. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. I would say transformation generally is a creative act. It is. And, yeah. you know, being able to envision what the future might look like and then deliver into that to me feels inherently creative. There's a great book I've been reading uh, by Rick Rubin called, hang on, let's get it. He's going to get it. Uh, while Dave's away, we'll know he's actually on a sponsorship deal for this book. <laughs> called The Creative Act, A Way of Being. And in the, in the book, I, I couldn't recommend this more. It's a, a, quite an amazing read. Rick Rubin is a music producer. He, he's produced like all sorts of genres, from hip hop all the way through to Johnny Cash. And he basically talks about the nature of creativity and how there's this sort of perception that you have to be throwing paint on canvas or making music or film or whatever to, to call yourself an artist. But what he makes the case for is that art's visible in business, you know, and creativity is visible in business. And I think the act of transformation uh, is very creative if done correctly. And actually, you can see the ones that have got creative genius in them versus ones actually that are much more mundane, you know? It shows up in the results, I think, like the hardcore business results. And that maybe bridges us into the nature of transformation itself, which is something we discussed on a, in a number of episodes that we had some reflections on. So, so Rob, tell us about design for adaptability and, and what resonated with you. So this was, the, this was the thing that was, had always been somewhere in my mind, but I never really properly grasped it until we did that episode on the Kinefin framework uh, with David. And um, suddenly occurred to me that you design a system for adaptability and to be able to change quickly to meet the nature of the demand that's placed on it. And we learned that a lot through COVID and the way it was discussed around dealing with complexity and complex uh, needs to be distinguished and that actually don't try and scenario plan everything through and predict the future and be preemptive. 
but actually build a system that's capable to adapt quickly as required. And then there was a whole set of things in my head that went off like a domino um, effect and understood back when I'd looked at things that had been very successful, it was all based in the ability for the system to be adaptable to um, to change. And that was what really struck me about transformation. Mm. It's about prepare for the future by creating a flexible system. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that the whole world of digital transformation is all about for me is that the sort of the new era of tech that we're in, you know, starting with the cloud and including a lot of the tooling that we've that we've examined this season, like like AI tooling and data and uh, etc. That's all about being able to fast respond to things. So, yeah. you know, technology in the client server era was was like an anchor point. I think you know because yeah. it had such long lead times that you almost had to address it in a more waterfall like way because you couldn't do it any faster. Well cloud era technology that's constraint is completely gone so it like frees up businesses to just be pure response machines so like understand the market respond understand the market respond and and to me that that sort of complex way of leading uh, is is entirely possible now and when you talk digital transformation it's really about instilling into an organization the ability to do that isn't it yeah, no, no, hundred uh, percent. Cloud has become the, or I should say, cloud has removed the constraint to allow us to work in a different way and build systems in a different way. And I think there's still a massive amount of education that has to be done about what what can be different in the world that you used to know. Mm. And I think the more we can educate people around the, you can approach things and problems uh, in a in, in a totally different way is 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 the right answer. It's just for a lot of people, seeing is believing. And so they have to almost have a lived experience where they've seen the benefit of this new way of working and new technology approaches and the new way of leading product-based operating models, platform-based structures, that suddenly you go, oh, right. Yeah, we can do it, can't we? Yeah, exactly. And, and Shalk, I know when we've been talking about transformation, the need to address culture, I think, is something that's resonated with you. So what, what stuck out for you that was new that caused you to reflect on something and and how do you think that impacts tech transformation? I think it's the biggest part of each and every transformation because we just mentioned the technology is ready, right? We can adapt quickly, we can be flexible, but we still need to first experience what that actually is. So that cultural change or the change that people need to go undergo is the biggest challenge in each and every transformation. Digital transformations, uh, cloud transformations, it's always a big part of it. And in one episode, I think we looked at that from a point of view of the human operating system. And I think the idea was that, you know, we, we function much like any other machine that needs software upgrades every now and again, and maybe needs new apps added to it. And do you think that analogy holds, Rob, when, you, when you're trying to deal with a problem like Schalke just described? Yeah, I think, I think there's definitely parallels in it. We operate in a way that we've learned, yeah, like a a program we have a lived experience that's the way we do and you have to to change the understanding of how you can do things you have to experience it or be be, be taught to do that we all need the digital 2.0 cloud version addition add-on pack or whatever so, you want to call it installed in the back of our heads it would be easier if we could just insert a usb key and have it done overnight but unfortunately it's a long old road <laughs> we're not far off that. <laughs> maybe, maybe we're getting there. Musk's got his, uh, his uh, sign-off, hasn't he, from the FDA in the US to start trials of embedded chips and tech and stuff. So you, we're nearly there with that. 
it would probably make a lot of things a lot easier, although there are some ethical issues to t- tackle on that one. But for me personally, the episode where we discussed the human OS was my favourite of the season because it really talked about the human perception, the mind, how we a- actually behave. And the, the biggest issue for... We, we had that joke where we said... Um, uh, the digital transformation failed. It must have been the technology. Let's swap the technology out, and it fails again. Oh, it must have been the technology. Before yeah. we look back and go, maybe, just maybe, <laughs> at the core of this might be uh, the people involved are mm-hmm. causing the failure. And it was that. It was that to understand that at the beginning, the the nature of tra- transformation. We said was the people have to be right to enable the success to be good. So, if you look back on the season, what's the app? that you installed in your humor operating system that you carry with you now, do you think? Oh, that's a very good question. I'm coming to you next, Shauk, so get thinking. Yeah, 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 you put me on the spot there, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Marcel, I might even come to Unisec too. (laughs) Uh, Oh, you've given the game away there with his name. Um, For me, and there's a lot of thinking that has to go on here, it's the one about the upgrade was the understanding adaptability and designing a system and approaching a system to make sure that it can change if need be and don't try and predict the future but actually plan for now prepare for next and build something that's right for the future would be the app i installed the remember to uh, create adaptability in everything you do Shauk. i think i would install chat gpt <laughs> that's the fast way around it i think yeah what, like yeah. A, di- a direct line that will solve GPT. everything every challenge and every they- problem that i have I'm right. never asking you to add up two numbers then after that <laughs> upgrade. <laughs> Tempted to do my quantum science job Ooh, again. Yeah. Though, though the bit I like doing is ask Ch- ChatGP to say you're a pirate and then do something. Is that you? Because probably people could say you're now this personality type, now behave like this. As yeah. Well. <laughs> pirate. Arr. Arr, me hearties. <laughs> that could be, we could do a pirate-themed episode and that would be very exciting. Oh, I'm sure people will love that. Uh, Marcel, what's your what's your upgrade yeah so my upgrade um it's a combination between what we learn as a person combined with normal computer and also a quantum computer so i, I have a scene in thought about the matrix where you can learn to fly in a helicopter in 10 seconds and so you can learn something and that's something that i i was dreaming about for the last uh, 55 years to to do that to to not only swap places in the world within one second like a cartoon person but also learn things within only a few seconds so the combination between the normal computer and a quantum computer where you have to sort of the power to to learn something in one or two seconds that would be really cool so uh suddenly i I can be a pilot or i can be i don't know it's something you always want to be on only a few seconds podcast presenter yeah 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 producer yeah so my, mine is, I mean, it feels like just in the last year with AI in particular that we're on the verge of something. But I think the horizon, like the 10-year horizon to me, has been a, it's been a real eye-opener in a number of the conversations we've had this season. Just how much is converging in the next 10 years in terms of the next big leap? And it, this maybe sounds like hyperbole, but I mean, it really feels like a, an evolutionary step practically. Uh, it's it's so significant what's about to happen, I think, to society. I, I have a view, though, on that day, which is I do think that technology is going to go through a massive transformation, especially with things like quantum. I do also believe that society will reset its opinion and how we look at technology mm. because social media is ripping society apart. We're struggling with the algorithm. It's, it's, it's done lots of good, but it's also done lots of harm to people 
from a mental illness perspective and such like and and changed how you know the human perceives the world i do think there's with with that transformation a reset is uh, is on its way and uh, and very much needed right yeah, because absolutely. otherwise we we can't handle it no oh, the algorithm is causing us too much pain yeah. and everybody's talking about the scarcity of resources so ron toledo talked about that so in the end i think within 10 years there there people will lose their job but a lot of people like a plumber just the basic jobs they will be the new millionaires i think because still things must be fixed must be solved that you can't do with a computer uh, a nurse for example she still needs to be on the bed with a patient yeah so i think the big shift in or in in the whole world will be l- learn to work with your hands and fix things and and go back to and, basics and, and yeah back to basics and and be creative in that and, 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 you, uh, and you are right of course though the, the the nature of resources and the, the sustainability challenge that we've got ahead of us um, as a as a human race, particularly those countries that are engaging in it in a serious manner, I think quite rightly should be uh, top of everybody's mind and, and, and a theme that we will certainly uh, be returning to in season three. So in season three, we are going to examine this colossal change that's in front of us through a series of different lenses. We're going to open season three with a guest who has recently climbed Everest. So he works in the same tech field that the rest of us do. And he's recently um, gone and done an amazing thing. And we're going to talk to him about the lessons he learned from such a colossal journey and, and how that applies to thinking about, frankly, some of the enormous changes that are going to face us over the course of the next 10 or 15 years. And then throughout the season, we will talk to CIOs who are practicing in organizations today and explore where they're up to in their challenges. It's very easy to leap to the far end of technology change, but actually there's a lot of hard yards that go on the ground. So we'll be examining the practical realities of, of what that looks like. And then I think we can't say much more about it at the moment, but I think we've got a barnstorming Christmas special um, coming up this year, which... Uh, we will tell you more about uh, closer to the time. Before all of that happens, we'll be at Google Next, which I think, Marcel, is the last week of August. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Last week of August. So we will be doing six live episodes, uh, sh- relatively short episodes across the course of that week, bringing you the latest news and views from that conference. And then later in the season, we'll also be live from reInvent where roving Rob Kernahan will Uh-oh. be back in action, Rob. You put the pressure on me again to c- come up with themes within about a two hours or something. It's like, pressure? Two hours is plenty of time. As you can hear, Rob is extremely excited about uh, returning to being roving reporter. <laughs> uh, so persona so flip. My persona flip will have to occur again. <laughs> right, so that's all coming up in season three. Please join us for that. Now, As you know, if you're a regular listener, we end every episode of the show by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next. But given that it's just the gang today, we're going to ask Schalke to start with. What are you excited about doing over the summer, Schalke? I'm going to spend my whole summer on my project, current project, which is about moving houses. So that's basically it. I'm excited. Looking forward to it. Now, how many times are you going to move house over the summer? 
once. <laughs> it's it's going to take the whole that's summer enough. to do it. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. Yeah, that's enough stress. Yeah. <laughs> when was the last time you moved house? It was 18 years ago. Right. So, yeah, get ready for that. You'll yeah. find. Yeah. yeah. I'd, you can collect a lot of stuff in 18 years. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. That's why it takes that long. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. <laughs> we wish you nothing but luck with that. I'm Thank sure it'll you. be worth it. I'm sure it'll be worth it in the end. Marcel, what are you excited about doing over the summer? So the summer is a long period, but first um, we will have a sort of neighborhood barbecue. So this this, oh, this weekend. Nice. So that that's uh, that's on short term, long term on the summer. Yeah, that's a good question, Dave. So uh, it's it's as if we prepped these episodes. <laughs> as, if, yeah. as if we had a production scene. You knew you knew the question was coming, <laughs> uh, but not to me. Well, maybe we should <laughs> institute a production sheet for season three. Uh, well, that's a good idea. Or or indeed, uh, just we follow the same pattern for every episode, and we've had about thirty or forty and. <laughs> You're surprised that we do this at the end. And, and, conversation. You know, Marcel, maybe join episodes in future. You, you know, <laughs> yeah, you'd be able to hear us do this. It's, it's possible. So yeah. <laughs> it's a new theme. I don't know. No, but but I'm I'm excited about. So I, I did a sort of restructure of my my garage, and I want to create a sort of workbench and do some woodworking. Okay. Nice. nice. Working with yeah. hands. Working with hands. Yes. Yeah, so in, in, in the past, I created even a uh, famous chair from Rietveld. So it's the, 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 the blue and red uh, chair from Rietveld. And I created that myself. And I'm very, uh, really, so I have a sort of bond with wood. So I, I can create a lot of things. How many wood. legs has it got, Marcel? It's it, it it's in the end it's four, but right. it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> but with your new upgrade, you can do that in a matter of seconds, right? Yeah, I know, I know. So it's it would be easy. So I I can create a whole sort of uh, store with 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 seats and chairs. Maybe you only. could invent the five leg chair. Yeah, a five leg chair is that a five legged chair? Yeah. I'm sure you know. Just, just experiment. See if there's something in it. Okay, I will send some pictures. Okay. You don't, you don't look convinced, but you know, <laughs> it's a, it's innovation in practice. Uh, Rob, what are you excited about doing over the summer? There's two things. First is I am a massive fan of dramatic scenery and the mountains. So we are going to get to go up and see the Norwegian fjords. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. I am wow. very looking forward to that. I, I, it's it's going to be good. And the second thing is the family theme park trip, which we always do every year. I am oh, a right. massive fan of theme parks. Yeah, d double down when you go in, do everything that you can, roller coasters, ride, all sorts, just do it. So we go every year uh, as a sort of family tradition. So I always look forward to that day as well. Oh, lovely. Which one are you going to? I think this year, other theme parks are available, but I think this year uh, we're going to Alton Towers. Nice, man. Which well, is just up the road from us, so it's not too far to go either. Enjoy. So, Rob, you always follow the sort of the rules, and I will never follow the rules. So I'm really, really flabbergasted that you are a fan of roller coasters because I do a lot of things, but roller coasters is a no-go for me. The, the, the race, and don't forget, Marcel, some very clever engineers have made sure it's very safe. And there's, so there's you have to put the harness on, there's a checklist to go through. It's perfect for anyone who wants to follow rules but get a bit of a thrill. It, it's not the technology, it's the feeling in your stomach that I hate. <laughs> oh, that, that's the best part, the loopy, no. loopy, loopy ones or <laughs> so dave what what are you doing this summer thanks Marcel. yeah i'm very much looking forward to going on holiday so i am delighted to say that today is my last day and i'm about to go to cornwall for two weeks where we go each year uh we do camping for the whole two weeks and what i love about it is it sort of really pairs you back you know you spend your whole life surrounded actually by a lot of the things we're talking about and obviously it's it's our jobs to help people with these things and talk about them but actually also just to get away from them 
uh, and spend some time on the beach and spend some time with your family that is not around devices or even in you know even in a house is just a is a joy. So we we do that every year, and I'm very much looking forward to it. As long as you got a mobile signal, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Mobile signal and good weather. Yeah, Those good two. weather. Mobile signal, lots that of That makes wine. a big difference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Michelle. A huge thanks to all of our guests in season one and two for your time and all your valuable insights. And of course, to our sound and editing wizard, Ben. And lastly, to all of our listeners, old and new, thank you so much for your support. We know you have a lot of choices and we really love and appreciate the time you spend with us. So thank you. We're on LinkedIn and Twitter. Dave Chapman, Rob Kernahan and Xiao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us and let us know if you have any ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality very soon. Bye.